I want you all to know about this companion Bible. And there are things here that you don't get anyplace else. And I've been wondering about Moloch, you know, into the arms of Moloch. And he says something that's very interesting in his notes. There are things in here about the Nephilim. He said these Canaanites were really Nephilim. They were half demon, half human. And that's why they had to be wiped out of the land. But notice what he says here about Moloch is the king idol. The king idol is what it's called. And when it talks about the uncircumcised, it means uncovenanted. See, these were heathen. When it says, I'm going to kill these uncircumcised Philistines, David's. Well, he meant he wasn't in the covenant that God gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then when it comes to familiar spirits today, we're going to get into that. These are evil spirits personating dead human beings and attaching themselves only, you can't attach it to the real person, to mediums. A medium is a person that allows these things to come in. Mediums, and this is today, and those who give up their will to them. So you have to say, I'll give up my will and you can enter me and do with me what you want. A dread reality is provided against these enactments. Deuteronomy 18, 1 Chronicles 10. Um, it's borrowed from an Akkadian word, a charm, used of one who was mistress of the spell or spirit. And in it acts, it's defined as a spirit of python. See, I didn't know where the word python comes from that. The same thing about a familiar spirit, Pythias or Apollo. And see, all of these are very evil things. We just glibly talk about them, but that's what it is. Wizards are knowing ones, those having occult knowledge. So in all of this, uh, oh, this Moloch, the king idol, uh, it says where this law, it we're going to see as we follows that on the one about incest. But so Moloch was vile and terrible, and we know that they had an iron grate down in the valley of Hinnom that their firstborn child had to be thrown into the arms of this king idol, Moloch, to burn up, and then they would play a lot of loud music to hide the screams of the baby. Now, how cruel can that be, except it's probably going on in abortion clinics in America today. It's a terrible thing. God hates it, and he destroys the whole civilization because of it. But anyway, I may get to some other things in here, but maybe not. So in our lesson today, where we stopped in the middle of a chapter, but we'll go back just a little bit, because these concern daily life, laws concerning daily life. But before we start, let's ask God to bless us. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We ask that you would bless these things to our hearts, because all of these things were written to the Israelites, but they're written for our example. And these are the principles, what God considers sin to be. And even today, most of these things are brought, except the Sabbath, into the New Testament for us to pay heed to and to live clean lives, pure lives before you. Because you said you are holy and you wanted your people to be holy. So bless us as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Concerning daily life, the first verse in chapter 19 we saw, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
And then he said, Every one of you shall revere his mother and father and keep my Sabbath. Don't turn to idols nor make yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. And this became the besetting sin of the Jewish people. And it ended up with why they've been scattered all over the world. And today they're being regathered as per what Jeremiah and the other prophets said, I'm not through with you. I'm going to punish you severely. And all these thousands of years, the hatred toward Israel and the suffering that they have had to endure all of these years, God said, I'm going to turn it around. And in the end days, when the Messiah comes, things will be different. And you will be changed. Your heart will be changed. And this is what Ezekiel says, that uh, the dead bones will come back together and they'll come in. I think that happened uh, in 1948 when Israel became a land again. So anyway, all of these things, we came to verse 26. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. This Bible is saying that the priests of these uh, Baal and all, they would have a tuft of hair left on the top of their head to identify that they were priests of Baal. You're not to do that. My people are not to do that. The Egyptians, it was a sin to have a beard. They needed to be clean shaved, but the Jewish people had a beard, but they had it very neatly trimmed. Um, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord your God. About the tattoos, in 1 Kings 18.28, notice about tattoo marks or cuttings in your flesh for the dead. Um, we don't even know what this means unless we find it someplace else. And so in the cross-references I found in 1 Kings 18, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember that story in 1 Kings 18 uh, when Ahab saw Elijah, verse 17 of chapter 18 of 1 Kings, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? <laughs> Ahab the king who had married Jezebel, that wicked Phoenician princess that hated the Lord and wanted to wipe out the name of Jehovah from the land and was doing a pretty good job of it. But then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, he said, Are you the troubler of Israel? And Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, verse 18, but you and your father's house have, that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you've followed the Baals, plural. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, on the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who sit at Jezebel's table. Now all of this, I once gave you a page about Asherah, how, how vile and how terrible this heathenism is. And it's all on perverted sex. That's what Satan loves most, to wreck a human body made in the image of God and take it and turn it into filth. That's what happens, what he loves. Now therefore send and gather all Israel, uh, Elijah said, to Carmel the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who sit at Jezebel's table. Imagine feeding that many people, maybe twice a day. That'd be rather expensive, wouldn't it? And look at how he had 50 prophets of Baal in addition. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel. You can see why they built 
we see from Babylon the huge halls that they ate in, and probably they had these huge castles where they had halls where they ate all of this stuff, and servants that were slaves that they captured from someplace. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah said to all the people, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it's well spoken. That's a fair, that's a fair contest. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. So they took the bull which they was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they had made. And that's another little secret about when they calling up a medium. There'd be no voice or answer unless it's an evil spirit, see that. No, the dead do not come back and talk ordinarily. We're going to see a different story here in a minute. So, and they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves. This is what I want you to underline. They cut themselves as was their custom. Cuttings for the dead. Cuttings with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. That's what these heathen people did. The blood gushed out because they were cutting themselves as was the custom for Baalites. So it was when midday was passed and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, he made a trench around the large altar enough to hold two five gallons of seed. Two sia is five gallons of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And I remember I was probably 60 years ago, I was teaching this to children in a daily vacation Bible. I've told you this before, Bible class, and little Ned was sitting in the front row and he raised his hand and he said, if it hadn't rained all that time, where did they get the water to put on <laughs> to put on the sacrifice? And I said, well, I don't know, Ned, but I'll see what I can find and tomorrow I'll bring you some kind of an answer. Well, the answer is that they weren't far from the Mediterranean. They could go down and get salt water and pour over. But that's little kids, when you teach children, I'm telling you, they can think of things that adults can't even think of. And uh, you have to be on your toes or just say, I don't know. I'll try to find out. See, don't be afraid to say, 
boy, that's beyond me. Well, it was beyond me. So anyway, fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they said, it did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, about six o'clock, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood of the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishim and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. It hadn't rained for three years or more. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He was waiting to see if God was going to send this rain. Then he bowed down to the ground, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked. He said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go, go get up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind. There was a heavy rain, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all of the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. See, now she was going to strike the fear of God into him, and fear of Baal into him. And when he saw that, he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which as far south as he could, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights. Guess where he went? As far as Horeb, the mountain of God, over to Arabia. He ran as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. That was where Midian used to be. I think that's a very exciting thing to see that he ran all that way, 40 days and 40 nights, and there he went into a cave, probably the same one that Moses was into. The whole Bible is 
you know, you understand one part and other parts open up to you. It's really quite thrilling. There he went into a cave, spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel. Now he's pity party now. He said, I've worked for you, Lord. He said, I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then God said, go down, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire, and after the fire, a still small voice in the Septuagint says, the voice of a light breath. It's the small, a light breath. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive there, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Go clear up to Syria now, clear from Mount Horeb over in Arabia, and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And then he adds an addendum. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. See, it tells you a little bit more what they do with these idols. Oh, it's just, it's really terrible. But idolatry is a terribly defiling thing. And behind every idol, we read Paul says in Galatians, is a demon. See, demons are behind idols. So every time you see idols, think demons. So all right, back to our passage. You're not to put any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. And another thing that they would do, do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot. See, and I wondered if that's what Rahab's parents forced her to be, but she was a harlot. It doesn't say, but she was a harlot. But this was a part of the thing. They would not only kill their firstborn son, but they would make their daughter into a ritual prostitute. She would prostitute herself and then would have sex with her as a devotee of Baal, as a part of their religious worship. It really just vile. So, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So the occult, even today, is defiling, God says. It's very defiling. And we remember about First Samuel 28. I want to just read another little story that illustrates this. When Samuel the prophet had died, First Samuel 28, verse 3, now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, which would be a suburb of Bethlehem, buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put 
the Medians and the Spiritists out of the land, like Leviticus 19 says to do. Saul had done that. That was a good thing that he did. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, because he had been so mean to David, see, about David has fled to Achish in verse 2 of the same chapter. Let's see what the first verse said. Well, verse 28, verse 1, it happened in those days, for the background of this, that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight again with Israel, and Achish, who was king of one of the Philistine cities, that where David had fled, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So Achish thought he would take David and help him fight against his own people. But as it came to pass, the rest of the Philistine lords said, we are not having that. Israelite fight with us. He might change his mind and fight against us. So they made David go back and not fight that battle. I think these stories are very, very exciting. When you read them at night, you can't stop. You just keep going. But so David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. See, uh, that's what Achish thought. He'll be my slave forever. So when Samuel had died, all Israel lamented him, and so the Philistines gathered to fight, and so David was going to fight with them. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord didn't answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or the prophets. Remember when the high priest had the breastplate and he would try to, from the Urim and Thummim, to see what he should do, yes or no? Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who's a medium. Uh-oh. Find me a woman who's a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her, since the Lord won't tell me. Maybe the devil will tell me. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. See, that's what we saw in the note about bringing up the dead, but he's bringing up a medium is what he'll be doing. So anyway, that's what they did. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing being a medium for me. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. So lying spirits impersonate the dead, and it shows uh, the frauds they are, but what power Satan has. So when the woman saw Samuel, now this is a one-time thing, God allowed this to happen. And many wonderful things we learn about what happens at death from this passage, but God allowed Samuel to come up from where? The bodies were put in a grave. Where did the soul and spirits go in the Old Testament? Into Sheol, Hades, in the heart of the earth. There was a great place, and we read about it in Ezekiel, that whole world empires were in these rock-hewn sepulchers, the souls and spirits of all the, the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Assyrians and all in this huge place in the heart of the earth for all the lost, 
all the uncircumcised, all the ones that don't love the Lord. And they're still there, the ones that don't love the Lord. But when Jesus rose, he went there for three days and three nights, but there was another section with a great gulf between, and the gulf on one side had saved souls and spirits, the other had the lost souls and spirits. So where do you think Samuel's soul and spirit went? To the saved section, where David was. David said, you won't leave my soul in Sheol forever. You'll resurrect me. But the lost, those like Pharaoh and all, and that place in Ezekiel 35 and 36, where when Pharaoh sees all the souls and spirits down there, he's down there, and his soul is comforted. That really tickles me, the humor in God's Word. When he saw all the other lost people down in hell, his soul was comforted. Well, you see, it's a terrible place of punishment. Jesus said there, the fire never goes out, the worm never quits eating, devouring. So. When the woman saw Samuel, usually she saw her control, a demon, and he would come and enter her and tell her whatever Satan wanted to say. But instead, God let Samuel come up. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a spirit ascending out of the earth. If you died today, or if I died today, my soul and spirit would go immediately up to heaven. But if you died as a believer in the Old Testament time, like Samuel, you'd have to come up from the saved section. And you need to understand this, because very few people understand about Sheol Hades, that it had two compartments. And Luke 16 makes this very clear that Jesus tells this story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man went to the lost section, Lazarus, the poor beggar, went to the saved section, and they could see one another, their souls and spirits. Their bodies were put in a grave on the earth, but these are, the soul is the covering for the spirit. And when the soul appears, it looks like the person, because their body is not there. But when Jesus comes back, he will reunite the bodies with the souls and spirits. And that's what happened. He went to the saved section of Sheol Hades for three days and three nights. And when he led captivity captive, he rose from the dead, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, he led captivity captive. So all the saved section is not there anymore. So if you die today, you go directly to be with Jesus in heaven. Isn't that a wonderfully comforting thought? Heathen people can't have this comfort. They don't have this assurance. But you could know that if you believe in Jesus, that you have this assurance from him that today, like he said to the thief on the cross that believed in, today you shall be with me in paradise. And paradise was in the heart of the earth once, but now it's up in the third heaven. And Paul said when he was stoned to death at Lystra that his soul and spirit went to paradise up there, the third heaven. So that's what we read the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, second, maybe 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians. Is it first or second? Well, let's turn there and see. Keep your finger <laughs> on, because we're going to go back. But First Corinthians, it's Second Corinthians 12. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. See, you're either in Christ or out of Christ. When you believe in Jesus, you're in him. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're outside, and you, if you die, you go to hell, the lost section. 
said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I don't know or whether out of the body I don't know, God knows. I'm glad that it's kind of secret, isn't it, that when I go I won't know the difference. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, not down to the heart of the earth, caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows he was caught up into paradise. So now where is paradise? In the third heaven, where God dwells. See, this out here is the first heaven. Outer space is second heaven. And where God dwells, up beyond is the sides of the north, is the third heaven where God dwells. So one passage leads to another until finally you get the picture of what happened. So he was caught into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I won't boast, Paul said, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I forbear lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. He said, I'm just a man, really, like you all. And lest I should be exalted above measure, by being caught up to heaven and seeing all this, he said, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. See, that's exactly what happened to Job. A messenger from Satan brought all these terrible things on Job and his family, killed all of his sons, all of his possessions were taken away. God will allow a lot of things. Satan is very powerful. He a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, remember this, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure, Paul said, in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so this Second Corinthians is full of that kind of admonition talk. But now back here to about Saul. And the king, Saul, said to her, Don't be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to him, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his form? What did this spirit look like? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? So who, who knows these things? You only could find this out in the Bible. Who knows this? He said, why have you disturbed me? So evidently it's a wonderful place of peace and quiet. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered and said, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and doesn't answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I've called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands, Saul, and given it to your neighbor, namely David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath, first of all, on Amalek, the descendant of Esau, that came out against the children of Israel going up toward the promised land. 
Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, Saul, you and your sons will be with me. You'll be dead. But that tells us that Saul was saved and his sons were saved. But you see, they're all different levels of Christian growth, of believers' growth. Now, Saul got to be very mean to David, but he was a believer after all. So all believers... I'm going to read a little bit Macintosh about uh, there are levels of believers. There's some that God can really use and there's some that turn against the Lord and the Lord can't use them anymore. So he said, you'll be with me. You'll be dead. And the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day or all night. Then I want you to turn back just a little to First Chronicles 10 to see the end of it. After Saul died from this battle, verse 8 of chapter 10 of First Chronicles, it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, after Saul got killed, they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they stripped, the Philistines did, they stripped Saul of his armor and took his head off and his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. And when all Jabesh Gilead heard that all the Philistines had done this to Saul, all the valiant men rose and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and they brought them to Jabesh and buried their bones under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So, here's what I want you to underline. Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord in the matter of Amalek, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. See what God thinks of consulting a medium? But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. This is called in 1 John five sixteen, the sin unto death. And we see that also there is a sin unto death for believers. Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of Acts lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, you can't lie to God, can you? Well, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they died, both of them. But they were believers, and they went immediately to be with the Lord in heaven. But, And I was thinking of this last night. Uh, I couldn't sleep very well, and I was thinking of all these passages, like in 1 Corinthians 3. Let's turn there just a minute in connection with this. 1 Corinthians just 3. You know, we just need to see this and think about it. Paul says, according to the grace of 1 Corinthians 3.10, well, first 9, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You're God's building. We believers are. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, Paul said, as a wise master builder, he went around starting churches and getting people to believe. A wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. That's in Jesus. And another builds on it. Somebody else comes along and, and adds to what Paul taught. And another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on this foundation of being a Christian. 
See, that's how it's important for us. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, after you become a believer in Jesus Christ, now tonight there's going to be a big Billy Graham thing on the Fox News. So all of you look at it, because it'll probably be his last thing. And maybe many thousands, maybe many Muslims pray, will accept Jesus as Savior from this last thing of Billy Graham. But like this, accept him tonight, that's the foundation they're starting in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you're in Christ. You're on the foundation. Now, how are you going to build your life after this foundation is laid in Christ? Are you going to follow him, or are you going to go back to your old ways? What are you going to do? Go back into the temple of Dagon, or go back to whatever? So he said, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work, not your salvation, but see, you're saved by faith and being on that foundation, but you have to build on it. Are you going to build with gold or silver or precious stones, or are you going to build with wood or hay or straw? Each one's work or production will become manifest for the day. This is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. So after, when the Lord comes and we see him, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It should strike, you know, a little fear into us to see, what's he going to say to me? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, or enter into the joy of thy Lord, or is he going to say, no, it's all be burned up, like, you know, you're just getting in so as by the skin of your teeth, but you're in. Well, that's wonderful. That's better than being out, <laughs> but small. But notice what it says, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. See, everyone's work will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test gold, and it'll test silver, and precious stones, and wood, haste, what sort it is. Everyone's work which he's built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, what happens to wood? Burns up, straw burns up. What happens to gold? It's refined, isn't it? And all the other jewels, uh, and, and these first three things are fireproof. Anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know, and he said, that you and I are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in us? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. That's a sin unto death. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. Therefore, let no one glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. You are Christ and Christ is God's. The same thing is mentioned in First Peter. Go back a little bit uh, in Second, because we're going to see this in the next chapter about priesthood. Because it says in chapter 1 of First Peter, so when you think, well, all of this is just in the Old Testament. No, it isn't just in the Old Testament. It's repeated in the New Testament. 
over and over. And so, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. This is Christian. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes back. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, here it is again, be ye holy in all your conduct. Because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Right in your Bible, Leviticus 11, 44, Leviticus 19, 2, all through Leviticus. God is writing these things because I'm your God. I want you to be like I am. I want you to be holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your sojourning here in fear, knowing that you're not redeemed. You are not redeemed or brought back to God with corruptible things. You are paid for by silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But you were redeemed with what? The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Have we been reading about animals without blemish, without spot? They couldn't be offered to the Lord if they had anything wrong with them. So as a, he's like a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, brought forward in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, and raised him, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory that he that your faith and hope were in God. Since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This is a mark of a Christian love, as Dr. Schaefer said. Having been born again, you're born again when you are in Christ, not of corruptible seed like our first birth, but of incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh, Psalm 40 says, is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking, as newborn babies in the family of God, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, he is the living stone, rejected indeed by men, but he's the living stone chosen by God and precious. You also, and we believers, are living stones being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. What for? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore. What are some of the spiritual sacrifices? Well, prayer, praise, thankfulness, spiritual things it says. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, Isaiah 28 says, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious, but to those who are disobedient, non-believers, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to Israel today, isn't it? And to many people, Jesus is the problem. That was just listening this morning. The Supreme Court's listening to a case today. They want to make our prayers before football games or anything else generic to please everybody. 
so that nobody will be offended. Now that's absolutely impossible. He said, it's a stone of stumbling. You can't pray in Jesus' name. I'll, we'll be interested to see what the Supreme Court does. Maybe they've already done it. But to you who believe he's precious, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to unbelievers. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, you and I, are born again. We're a chosen generation. We're elected. A royal priesthood. Well, now, isn't that something? So we're in the royal family, and we also are priests. We're going to see the qualifications for priesthood service. No blemish. <laughs> They'll get in. They could eat the food of the priest, and you get into heaven with a lot of blemishes, but you miss a lot of privileges, see? We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're God's own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, when you accepted Jesus, it's like coming out of darkness, out of Satan's domain, into God's domain light. God is light. That's what he is. And you who once were not a people are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All right, now back to our lesson. But so finishing this chapter... You shall not prostitute your daughter. You shall not cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry. You shall keep my Sabbath, reverence my sanctuary. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. See, that defiled Saul. I am the Lord your God. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. So we have respect for old age. And if a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. But the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see the principle here, you and I as Christians, we were in the other realm. But we're to be kind to those people. We are to reach out to them. And these same principles apply to us. Uh, you shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You've got to be honest. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just effort, and a just sin. So if somebody gives you the wrong change back, maybe more than you deserve in a store, and you see that, you give it back. And they say, well, I'm so glad to see somebody so honest. You never take the credit for yourself. Say, I'd keep it if I weren't a believer in Jesus. But mm -hmm. the Lord tells me to give it back and be different. You give the Lord the credit. And so whenever you can, you give the Lord the credit. You shall have a just balance, just weights, a just effort, a just hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes, all my judgments, and perform them. I am the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now, these are terrible offenses. Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Moloch, the king God, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. So this is serious. I will set my face against that man and cut him off from his people because he's given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch and they don't kill him, they don't watch him throw the baby into the arms of this fiery 
great with the God behind it, the demons. Then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Moloch. So that's what that is, harlotry with Moloch. And the person who turns after mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. And I've heard today that people that get into demonization and doing this, they even have sex with demons today. I don't understand it, but they do. And that's what they were doing then. There's that movie a long time ago. I never did go, Rosemary's Baby, but that's the idea. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who sets you apart. For everyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He's cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The man who lies with his father's wife or maybe his stepmother, has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them. Now the heathen were doing all of these things, and if it were possible for God's people not to do them, God wouldn't have put these prohibitions in here. But they were doing these and following these. Both of them shall be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed a, a lifestyle, an alternative lifestyle. No, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it's wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. If a man mates with a beast, and that was part of Canaanitish worship, if a man mates with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the beast. If a woman approaches any beast and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, she sees his nakedness, it's a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He's uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, he's discovered her flow, and she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, your father's sister, that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he's uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it's an unclean thing. He's uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, that the land where I'm bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation. These were the statutes of the nation which I'm casting out before you, for they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit the land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who separated you from the believers. 
Holiness demands separation. You shall therefore distinguish between clean beasts and unclean, between unclean birds and clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the people, that you should be mine. A man or woman who is a medium, or who has familiar spirits, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. We'll just start just a little bit here. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to just the priest, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people, except for his relative." who are nearest to him. You aren't to touch a dead body or go near a dead person. His mother, his father, except for his uh, mother, father, sister, son, daughter, and brother. Also his virgin sister who is near to him, who has had no husband, for her he may defile himself. Otherwise, he shall be defiled, being a chief man among his people, this priest, to profane himself. They shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. The same thing. And they shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and the bread of their God. Therefore these priests shall be holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. Therefore you shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. And the bread pictures Jesus. Uh, he shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. And he who is the high priest among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, who is consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes, nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother, nor shall the high priest go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot, these he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people his wife, nor shall he profane the posterity of his people, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect, just like the animal sacrifice, he has to be perfect. No man with any defect, verse 17, may approach to offer the bread of his God. He can't be in service at the table of showbread. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame, who has a marred face or any limb too long, this is sight or walk. A man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, you could say if you have bad sight or bad walk <laughs> or arrested growth, or as a hunchback or a dwarf or a man who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scab or is a eunuch, no blemished priest can sacrifice at God's altar. They're barred from priestly function, but not from priestly privilege. Now you need to see that. You're born again, but it depends on who you are and how you live. 
No man of his descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. He can have all those privileges. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. So as Dr. McIntosh says, the spiritual application, he may be a child of God, that's one thing. To enjoy priestly communion and priestly worship is another thing. Not all Christians enjoy the same elevation of walk or intimacy of fellowship or nearness to Christ. See, not all. That's what the teaching of this is. Now, next week, we'll start with chapter 22 about priestly separation and obedience. Any imperfection, blemish, or handicap that reduces one's ability to do priestly service for God simply disqualifies for priestly ministry. That's from another one of the fellows. So next week we'll take a little more of this and then get into the, the Sabbaths, the seven feasts of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this time and ask that you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions that you might have or anything that came to your mind? So Saul's in heaven, is that what you're saying? Yes, okay. because Samuel said, you and your sons will be with me. That's how we know that. Where was he? Down in Sheol, the save section. One thing that was precious to me is that I'd read in studying Don where commentators say, well, we don't know if Nicodemus ever was a believer. But in Leviticus, it talks about don't touch a dead person. But the Nicodemus, it was a day of preparation. Was he a priest? No. But it says no one. And if they were going to celebrate the feast, they couldn't do anything that would defile them. But Nicodemus, he just went and took the body of Jesus. But it just, he didn't worry about, oh, I can't go touch a dead person. He just did it. Because he loved Jesus, I think. Yeah. That's very good to think about. We'll probably come to that not pretty soon. Any other questions or comments? How, how easy is it to get Macintosh's individual things to have out like the book of Job? What he has, Job and his friends. It's all online. Well, but people, a lot of people don't go online. 